together. Father, we come to you tonight. I know that's an understatement. We need you so desperately. And the quicker we learn that, the better off we are. So we come here tonight to not only acknowledge that, but learn that more. And Lord, we are so grateful for James and for his willingness to say it the way it is. That we need, we need that. We need to be told. We need to be instructed. We need to be convicted. We need to be challenged. We need to be shown our own selves sometime. So we are, we come to you right now and confess. We need you, Lord. We know that there's many tonight. Every one of us has come with something, some heavy heaviness, some heavy heart. Whether it's a person, a situation, a decision a lost loved one. Father, we know that you are ready to meet us here. Whatever we're going through, we'll hear from you tonight how to handle, exactly how to handle. So, Father, we, we turn it all over to you and give you praise and glory ahead of time and thankful that we can come to you and that we're not just talking to air, that we're just not just speaking words, but that we are bringing these requests and we're bringing our needs. We're, we're acknowledging who you are right in the throne room. That is amazing. And we give this all to you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, James chapter 4, and I almost forgot again. I know, I saw, I saw Tom's Bible waving this time. He said to me a couple weeks ago, I, I was practically standing on my head, and you didn't see me, and so, but tonight I saw it. So, of course, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. Yeah, I've been able to use that so much lately. I mean, trying to talk to people and to just be able to, with all confidence, you know, sometimes when you're up against some, some difficult people or dif difficult situations, I mean, that's life. And so how do you handle them? How do you handle them grace-filled? How do you handle them standing firm and I was so grateful for that simple little phrase that I could say, I'm going to quote this book. I'm going to quote you my answer. And this is the book I believe every word is true in, that it is all that I need. And he has everything that I need to say in this book. And it was such a confidence. I hope that you're learning that too, that, that no matter what your situation, that's why it's so important when the psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Because, you know, it's so easy to, to uh, fly off the handle or, you know, put up your dukes and, you know, let's go at this. And, and, and then instead you have all that, that peace and that confidence because when you quote this book, it's the answer, you know? And it, it was truly amazing, and I'm grateful for this book. So that, that little phrase, I hope you, you've committed it to, to memory. And so, all right, James chapter 4. And, uh, of course, you know, he started last week already by introducing us with this problem that, that we all seem to have. And, and he talks about our tongue. And, and then he even started by saying, you know, not all of you should assume to be teachers. And, and we all are teachers. If you have someone in your life that's looking to you, watching you, we're teachers. And what he means here is we shouldn't assume to think we just know it all. There's nothing more humbling to me is when I know people are dependent on me and trusting my words. And, and I think that, he said, don't assume you know it all. This should keep you in your Bible. If you know that you, you are a teacher in some shape or form because you've got somebody that's listening to you, then don't just assume you have all the answers. Make sure you're in God's word. And, and I thought that just to me came through so loud and clear. Just don't assume just because you're older or whatever that you have all the answers. We still need to be digging. We still need to be learning. I had someone tell me tonight, no matter how many times they go through that book of James, there's always something new to discover, always. So then he, then he talked about, all right, uh, you know, um, 
there's something about this tongue. It's such, oh, it's probably the littlest little part of our bodies. And yet, you know, it resembles the bit in a horse's mouth. It, it's like a rudder on a ship. It's like a spark that sets a, a whole forest fire going. You know, just try, James says, try to understand how damaging that little tongue can be. And he gave us such good illustrations so that we remember that it might be little, but very powerful. And in the fact that no man can tame a tongue, no man can tame a tongue. That was something I, I, I knew I read before, but that meant if no man can tame the tongue, either could say, well, then I guess that's, there's nothing I can do about this mouth of mine. You know, that would be so easy to say that. Well, if no man can tame it, then, then this, is, this is it. But it reminds us that, that no man can tame it, but the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, certainly can. Only God Almighty, in, in the form of his spirit, can remind us about our tongue. And then, then he said, how about how, and this is very convicting, isn't it? I hope you caught that this week, that, that when you were about to say something, you, rem, you remembered, um, you know, with the same tongue, I can praise the Lord. Remember, it's last week we said that that's the greatest that's the greatest thing we can do with our tongue. The greatest thing we can do with our tongue is to praise our Lord. It's the greatest thing. But the worst thing we can do with our tongue is to curse another person. Do you know? And and he says that how quick that you could be praising the Lord and then all of a sudden you're cursing man. And I love the way he came right out and said, This should not be. This should not be. So if, if it's happening to you, if you caught yourself doing that, praising the Lord one minute and then who using that tongue for other means, you know, and you know it wasn't right means, then he said, this shouldn't be. Your tongue now belongs to the Lord. You know, we are not our own. We are bought I still go back to that where James said about the we are free. We are, we've been set free. We live in the freedom of Christ. We have now been set free of sin and our own self and, and, and judgment and hell. We've been set free of some of the, well, the worst things. And we've been set free. We will never have to have to stand in his presence with our sin because they've been bought and paid for. And, and we've been free to, instead of falling and listening to our own self, we can listen to God's spirit. Oh, what a difference. And to know without a doubt that, that I, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine and, and I'm going to heaven. My eternal home is secure and no one or nothing can change that. I can live in this freedom every morning, wake up with that. And yet, we also are enslaved to him. We're set free because of Christ, but we're also enslaved to him. And that is rightly so, because we've been bought with a great price. And we owe him our lives. And that is our way of saying thank you to him, by handing over our lives. So, yes, we are. We do live in the liberty of, of his freedom, but we also are enslaved to him. It's just, these are just the terms he sets up. He expects us to behave that way. And then, and then, um, then he talked about two kinds of wisdom. Two kinds of wisdom. And, and I know that that word wisdom, we have to really understand where are we getting our information. And, you know, where are we taking in this information? And, and James really point blank says, you constantly listen to the information of this world. Then don't, don't, don't be surprised when out of you comes, what does he say? Things that are earthly, unspiritual of the devil. That's, that was tough language, but he says, when you're constantly listening to your own self and the ways of this world and all the news and all the doom and the gloom and, and no hope, and, and he said, then don't be surprised when out of you comes disorder and every evil practice. And, and what is that? That's worry and critical and 
panic and frantic. And you see, you don't have to live like that. But when you take in heavenly wisdom, when you really desire to want to hear from him, when you really desire to hear him through his word, when this Bible is open, when it's a priority in your life and you want to hear him talking to you, this is such heavenly wisdom. Just what we said at the very, very beginning. It's got every answer we need. How to handle life, how to handle difficult people, how to make decisions. Because when you are in tune with him, when you are walking with him, when you, when you are taking in his wisdom, then he says, look at what happened. Peace-loving, pure, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. You're the real deal. You know, I think the reason why we can learn something every time we open the book of James is because he just is so blunt and he's so real to life. He's so, he's convicting because I think if, I often say if you walked in here and say, I just want to spare you from what I, what I used to do. And I want to, maybe, maybe you don't even realize you're falling into some of these traps. Well, I want to help you by being so realistic. Kind of, it kind of hit you right, right below the belt sometime. Because we need to be made aware of what our tongue is doing, where we're taking in our information. We think we're so smart, and so we assume we're teachers, great teachers. But if we're not humbly coming to God's word to learn more all the time, that's what a good teacher is. Right, Gus? A good teacher. A good teacher is always wanting to learn, right? Yeah, that's right. He was one of the best of Holy Christian teachers. And, and I do think that a, a teacher really is so good at their job because they, they know that there's just so much more to learn. They, they never get so smart that they think they're, that, that they know everything. You know, that's a dangerous place to be. So, all right, now, um, tonight's lesson I said to Tom this week, I said, 17 verses, no sweat, 7, 10, we'll be out of here. And then I started studying. And 17 verses that, that are just, again, loaded, loaded. And he, he has certain words he does not want us to miss tonight. So, I mean, point blank, he says, okay, um, you Christians, because remember, he is talking to Christians here. He's talking, he says, how come there's quarrels and fighting and how come there's strife among believers? You know, that's a very good question. Because if anybody should be able to get along, it should be Christians. And, uh, but he says, all right, he said, so you don't. So what's the problem? How come you're still um, having quarrels and fights and you're not getting along and... and Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You want something, you don't get it. <laughs> you kill and covet. I know when you look at that, you think, oh, I don't do that. Oh, yeah. I mean, not literally kill and covet, but I'll tell you, sometimes our thoughts with people, sometimes it, it's just like killing them. You know, you kill, you know, and covet and... You want something, you don't get it, and, and you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. I, I wrote in my Bible in, in the margin there, someone is not walking in the spirit. <laughs> Why are there quarrels and fights and strife and not getting along? What is the problem? And it's because one person isn't walking in the spirit. And in Galatians 5, if you ever just need a little extra reading sometime, you just, you just read what Paul talks about, that, that we are to be walking in step with the Spirit. And he puts it in those words, in step, because one misstep, there you go, right back into your old ways. You have to really work at being in step with the Spirit. And so, you know, I thought the answer to that question for me is when, you know, when you get your dander up, when, you know, and he really nails it when he says, you know, you, you cannot have what you want. I mean, it's such a solved problem. 
And then, and then he goes on in the same paragraph. So it's, it's the same kind of, it's in the same principle. You, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. You know what that's called? Because it says, when you ask, you do not receive. That is called self, selfish prayer. You're praying to the Lord, and you're telling him what you want. This is, how, this is what I want, and this is how I want it. And James says, that is not the way you pray. Prayer, for one thing, is not just talking, telling him your request. Remember, we've been through that about prayer is the f- a frame of mind. It's that connection when your spirit and the Holy Spirit are in sync. That's why Paul says you never should stop praying. It, you should be ceaseless in your prayer because your spirit and the Holy Spirit should constantly be together, tied together. But when you ask, you don't receive, because it's, it, it's selfish prayer. So the first part of it is, why do you quarrel? Because self is out of step with the Holy Spirit. You've disconnected. Why, why don't you get what you ask for? Because your motive is wrong. Because self wants something and he will continue with that whole thing in, in this same chapter. But he just kind of wants us to start thinking about what do you ask the Lord for? And that word motive must constantly be uh, something that we're checking. Motive, you know, we can be the nicest and we can be asking for the greatest th- things. I mean, it's, but if your motive is, if self is in there at all, The motive is wrong. So, and then he moves on to verse 4. You adulterous people. Have you noticed lately, (laughs) we're in the fourth chapter now, so next week is our fifth, and then then it's done already. But in these short chapters, he is very verbal. And he doesn't use a lot of words unnecessarily. So when he uses the word, you adulterous people. And remember, he's talking to us. And we think we're pretty good. And he is saying, you adulterous people. You, this, that's what self is. Because in, in, you might as well call it for what it is. Uh, when self is on the throne, when self is all you want is your way, then you're adulterous. You're really an adulterous person because you are unfaithful. You're unfaithful to him. You're a traitor. You're a traitor. So he nailed it. When, when, when we're selfish, when we so desperately want our way, he said, you know what? You're a traitor. You're unfaithful. You're adulterous. Don't you know, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? See, so many people have tried to gray the area. And I think the Bible is very black and white. And especially, you know, when it comes to this, he he says it's, you're either for the Lord or you're an enemy of the Lord. I mean, don't you know? Friendship with the world is hatred toward God. You can't, you can't be on both sides of the fence. If you're trying, if you're trying, you know, like, like, because he's James is really trying to get us to see if we're if we're turning that whole spiritual thing on on certain days with when certain people are around. Remember last week when we were talking about the tongue, we said that we should really have the same language no matter whether we're in church or whether we're at a party. Our, our, our tongue should be, the same, should be saying the same kinds of things. We shouldn't have two languages. And here it says, don't you know that when, when, you're, when you don't have friendship with the Lord, then you're, then you're friendship. With the, with the world. And then he even says, 
And to be a friend of the world means that you become an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? You see, and, you know, or do you think, or do you think that, that the scripture says without reason that the spirit is he caused to live in us envies intensely? That there's two ways. I I have to say that in the King James version, they use the word spirit with a capital S. So I'm gonna tell you um both both ways are right. So from verse five, is it God, is it God? Jealously yearning for your devotion, the devotion of your inner spirit. So, okay, if you take the, the NFV or if you have a little S spirit, then ask yourself the question, is it God jealously yearning for the devotion of your inner spirit? Because, see, God is a jealous God. You know, Exodus 20. The Ten Commandments, it's very clear that, that God is a jealous God. Moses wrote it. He doesn't, he doesn't share his position. He doesn't share his place. I am the Lord your God. The God that changes not. I mean, those are very blatant statements that... Do not, do not take any interpretation. He is one and only. And so James is asking us to think about the question. So is, is God jealously yearning for that devotion of your inner spirit? Does he want your all? That you're trying to spread thin, that you know you want to be like this here and this here, and, and, and is the Lord jealously yearning for all of you? Every part of you. Or is it the Spirit, Holy Spirit, capital S, within us? Is he jealously yearning for the full devotion of our heart? So, see, it's the same thing. But I didn't want you confused. I just want to make sure that whether it's the Holy Spirit, capital S, or whether it's little s spirit, God is going after our inner being and saying, I want it all. But he gives us more grace. He gives us more grace. He just keeps giving us more grace. This is why the scripture says God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So, you know, what, what are those two words? I said that this, this chapter was full of words that we think we know, but I think it's very important because if, if you have the questions, you'll see that I went after those words and I made you even look them up in the dictionary because I wanted you to see that sometimes what we perceive the word to be, we don't really have it. So what does proud, when it says God opposes the proud? I think one of God's favorite words is humble. We humbly come. That's why I stress it all the time when I talk about our attitude and, and our demeanor when, when we come to the cross. I mean, we should never come any other way than just totally humbly. And so he does oppose the proud. What does proud mean? I looked it up and said, having or showing a high or excessive high opinion of oneself. Oh, isn't that just yuck? I mean, I don't even want to be proud. I mean, that definition alone would say to me, I, I don't even want to think that I'm proud. No, I don't think. I mean, I tell my grandkids all the time, I'm so proud of you. 
I don't think, we're not talking that, but we're, when you think of yourself, he opposes those who think that they're just fine in and of themselves, that they really don't need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. Because you're finding yourself sufficient. What does proud mean? That means you think you can handle it. Apart from God, you're fine. It's having or showing a high excessive opinion of yourself. And what does humble mean? I always think the simplest definition of humble is when you know that he's God and you're not. And what a, what a wonderful way to live life when you, when you know that he's God. He always has been and always will be. And he never expects me to be. And I can come to him and I can confess to him. That's why just that song just said the, says the words so beautifully. So he reacts. How does he react to each one? It's very, it, it's very clear, isn't it? He opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. All right. Then, then James goes again. No frivolous words. We we've covered the proud and the humble thing, and this is what God thinks of it. Now he will move right into the word submit. See, this is how you counteract your selfishness. And none of us, I don't think any of us say, oh, I just love to be selfish. I don't think any of us really truly want to be selfish. I mean, it's so natural. In fact, I said to Tom, we were on our way here tonight, and I said, I don't think that you see selfishness in me, myself, and I, and it's all about me kind of attitude more than people driving cars nowadays. It's just one area that you're really watching, whether they think they can hide it in their car, but I mean their behavior. It just shows everybody is just, well, so in a hurry, but I think even more than that is I don't want to be inconvenienced and get out of my way because I'm important. And James is trying to get us to see this kind of life. Yep, it's natural. That's what human nature does. But this is how you come against that selfishness. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He, he loves it. And he'll keep lavishing you with more grace. And his love has no limits. His grace has no measure. And his power knows no boundary. And that's the kind of God that you can serve and, and who you belong to. Then Submit. Submit yourself, okay? What does submit mean? It's, it, it was very clear in the dictionary. Accept or yield to a superior force. See, I like to look at it into the worldly dictionary because then, then I like to see how, how they put it. I mean, I know it's, it's accepting and yielding to God's authority. Of course I do. But, but the meaning really is the same. Submit means you are willing to accept or yield to, to authority, to superior, superior force. You're willing to give up yourself. Submit. Hey, I've told you umpteen times how much I like Charles Spurgeon. I just really do. But he, he, had, he wrote something about submit, and I just have to read it to you. He, gave, he said, it's like he was talking to me. Let me write this down because these are reasons why it would just be natural for you and all the people tonight to submit. And so here, here's his reasons. <laughs> and it's so natural. Takes this, it takes this man in the 1800s to just, why would I submit? Why would I yield to, to a force when my natural human self doesn't want to yield? But why would I submit? When James said submit, to, submit, to the, submit yourselves then to God. Number one, because he is your creator. He is the one who made you. He's the one who formed you. He's the one who summoned you by name, and you belong to him. So when you know he is your creator, you will submit. The second reason he gave, again, so simple, 
Because his rule, his ruling, his, his um, information, his commands, his instruction is good for us. He knows us so well. He knows what we need. And so his ruling is so good for us. And he has every right to because he owns us. I mean, Spurgeon is just making it so like, how dare you not? He created you. His rule is good for you because he knows you so well. And he, he, um, he owns you. <laughs> the third one is... All resistance to him is futile. Isn't that a good one? I mean, we can try, we can, we can fight, and, and we can kick and scream, and we can resist what he has planned for us or what his will is for us. We can, you know, we can rise up against it. And he says, really, you know, it's just all going to just tire you out because it's futile anyway. Because he's God and you're not. And he owns you. And the fourth one is submitting to him is absolutely necessary for, for your and my salvation. I never looked at it like that. But when you submit to him, that's when you'll humbly come and you realize your real, your real worthlessness and your, your real helplessness. And that's when, when you submit, you are, that is like the First step of salvation, you confess and you repent. And so if you don't submit, you're not even gonna, you're not even gonna experience salvation. So you better get a handle on what that word means. And then finally he said, and if you don't have salvation, if you don't submit to him for salvation, then if you might as well just kiss off any peace. Because you're not going to experience any peace in submitting to him is worth so that you can live in peace. Living in peace. Do you know that when you think you are Lord of yourself, maybe if I put it this way, if you think you're Lord of yourself and you can handle it, do you know that you're really submitting to the devil? That's how damaging self is. That's how, how important and eye-opening we should see about the damage of self. Because when you get that, when you cop that attitude of thinking that, that you know, you're kind of Lord of yourself. And that's why people who don't know Jesus, you know, they think they're, they're free. They're free to do what they want, when they want, and how they want. And actually what they're doing is they're submitting themselves to Satan's hand. And then he goes in and says, he says, resist, resist the devil, resist the devil. So what does, what does resist mean? I like this one. You stand against or you fight against. And again, fight is... Um, I saw this past week that uh, I kind of had a fight for something, and I don't like to fight. It's not my, it's not my thing. But when I when I looked up the definition of resist, I've got to resist the devil because if I didn't fight, something was going to go down, and it was not going to be a good thing. And a lot of people were not going to be able to hear God's word and learn and, and mature and grow. And I'm so grateful that the Lord had us in James for me personally because you have to resist, James says, resist the devil. You've got to sometimes fight against. You've got to stand against. I think maybe that's why this world is in such state because we're just not, we're so afraid to stand against or to even fight for. So, and then resist the devil, and he will. See, James must have experienced that. He must have known when it when his spiritual eyes were open. He probably saw, oh my goodness, I I was being I was being here. I'm the Jewish boy, and I was really very religious, and and yet I was letting the devil 
run my life because I wasn't willing to submit. I wasn't willing to resist because I thought I knew better. My brother was the cuckoo one. Now, when the spiritual eyes are opened, he now sees and he says, oh, these words are so important. Resist the devil. And if you do, if you really do resist the devil, and, you t- and I don't talk to him, believe me, I don't give him the time of day, but I can resist the devil because I know his tricks. I know what he's up to. I know what he's trying to do to me. I saw it this weekend. You know what he's trying to do? See, I've always had a lot. I'm admitting to you. You know, last week I admitted to you. But this week I might as well admit it to you. I have had, I struggled for so many years with insecurity. And, you know, I always, my brothers called me a circus monkey um, because I had to perform all the time. And so my brothers, they still, they call me a circus monkey. But but that's the way I grew up, and I thought that my performing was what would help people like me. And that just went into my adult. You know, that's why James has got to be so blunt, because sometimes he's got to grab you around the neck because you don't even realize what you're being plagued with. And I, I was being plagued with that. I got I to gotta make myself worth it to you. And then I found out... <laughs> And I found out through his word that, that somehow he can make you feel worth it just because of who you are, you're his child. And I don't have to feel insecure because I have the confidence, and I saw that this week, but the temptation, oh, if I didn't resist the devil I could feel all my old yuck. I could feel I was just starting to step back. Okay, no, nope, okay, whatever you say. I'm not gonna, I don't wanna ruffle any feathers. I don't, I don't wanna, you know, I don't, wanna, I mean, all of a sudden, I told Tom this, I said, I felt empowered. I felt empowered. We can feel empowered because we have the Holy Spirit in us. This is what James says. You simpleton people, you know, because that's the way I see myself. You who always succumbed to people's pressure and, and you always, you know, oh, dear, if I didn't perform well, then, oh, boy, that was going to be it. And, and uh, how would you like the name by your brother, Circus Monkey? I mean... But now, you know, now I watched. I watched the Holy Spirit empower me, and he'll do that for you. He'll do it for me because you're steadfast and you're standing against what's wrong. You're standing for what's right, and that's empowering. And if you resist that devil, because that devil tried to keep telling me, well, get your place, know your place, Uh, you just... Shut your mouth and and you just no. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna this time, Satan. I res, I resist you. I resist the devil and I and and I watched the Holy Spirit take over and the devil had to leave. <laughs> and you had been you had been very happy with me. And I say that with such a grateful heart. Because I'm happy with me because I did it right. And, and this is, I think, in life situations, watch where you're weak. See, see how the devil wants to play with your weakness. And then to be able to have the Holy Spirit empower you and remind you of, these, of what these simple words mean. And then don't you just love the eighth verse after you resist the devil and he will flee from you. You, can, you just not are, are sitting there, now what do I do? No, you come near to God. You draw near to God. You go to him. Lord, I need you. And you find that when you draw near to God, what does James say? He's just been waiting to draw near to you. That whole draw near, what, what, what does that mean? 
you can draw near to him. How do, how do you draw near? You know, once you've resisted the devil and he flees from you, okay, now what? Well, James tells you, now you make your move. You draw near to God. And you can do that through, oh, praise and worship and say Jesus' name and making sure that your spirit and the Holy Spirit are connected. That's how you draw near to him. Another way to draw near to him is, is just go to him and ask for help. I'm going to draw near to you, Lord. I need, you said that if I ask, if I seek and I knock, you're there and you will, you will answer. So I draw near to God. He will draw near to me. If I draw, I can, I can draw near to him just by, by talk, communicating, um, walking in that close fellowship with him. And that spiritual, just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. That's how you draw near to him. And he will draw near to you. Because did you notice he will? Did you see that? If you come near to God, do you have to second guess? Well, I'm coming near to you, Lord, but where are you? No, come near to God. He will come near to you. And then James kind of took, did you see it kind of took a little turn here just to make sure that we know something. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. I'm thinking, oh, that's a downer. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. I think James right there, he said, I just got to insert this to make sure that you always go back to where you once were and see where you were before you had to save. See what a sinner you are. And otherwise, you're not going to humble yourself before the Lord. If you really want to submit, if you really want to resist the devil, if you really want to come near to God, well, then you know what? You got to keep Alas, and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? I mean, I don't like being called a worm, but that song helps me to see the chorus. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. I have to see myself as a worm. Remember that story I told you about? I sang at this funeral for this elderly, wonderful elderly lady years ago. And one of the songs that she requested on her funeral planning was that, that I sing Amazing Grace. So when they called me, they said, she wants you to sing Amazing Grace. I said, no problem. I love that. I can understand why she wants that. So I get up there and I just built that amazing grace, let's read the song, that saved a wretch like me. And afterwards, this granddaughter comes up to me. She is just fuming. I mean, I thought I nailed it. I mean, it was, I mean, it was a good song. It just really came out. It, it was the proper song at the proper time. And as a singer, you love that when that happens. Right song, right time, right place. It was good. And here comes, I wasn't expecting this. And this granddaughter is so upset with me. And she says, how dare you call my grandma a wretch? And that's when I realized a lot of people don't understand that. When John Newton wrote that song, you know, he knew. He knew he was a wretch. He was a rascal. And, and Jesus saved him. But James is trying to get you and me, you know, good church people. He's trying to get us to see that without a Savior, guess what? You are a wretch. But that's why he says, you've got to never forget that, yeah, I was a worm. But it's at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. Yeah, by faith. I received my sight, my spiritual eyes. 
That's what James is trying to get you and I to see here. Because then when you realize what he's done for you, then you can come with verse 10 and say, humble yourselves before the Lord. And actually, you really, you really want nothing else. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And, and then what does he promise? When you humble yourselves before the Lord, what, do, what will he do? I mean, when you come to him, and let's, let's face it, you know, sometimes you just throw up your hands and, Lord, I come to you and I'm a mess. When you humbly come to him, what does James say? Will he leave you down there? Will he leave you in a hopeless state? Will he leave you just in despair and defeat? and depression will he leave you there no when you humbly come before him and you admit humble means well humble is the opposite of self-righteous you come humbly knowing that anything good remember we said this in the first chapter that anything good of us that's why we can never bust our arm, pat ourselves on the back with anything good that is in us or all comes from him. He's just borrowing our body, using our hands and mouth and feet or whatever for his kingdom. When we come humbly, he will, he will never leave you down. He will never leave you down. But did you notice, what do you have to do first? Did you see, this is a relationship that you have to work together. Oh, I know we want him to do everything, but no. Did you notice how we have to submit ourselves? We have to resist the devil. We have to draw near to him. He wants to see how serious we are. Let's see if you really mean it. Let's see if you're willing to make an effort here. And look what he says, if you humble yourself before him, he will see to it that you are lifted up. Because then he will remind you of all what he's done in your life. What he's made you. What he's made you to be. I mean, you were lost and now I'm found. I was blind, now I see Brothers, sisters, do not slander one another. Do not slander. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and, and judges it. Um, you know, he is uh, he's kind of going back to last week and reminding us, you know, about our tongue. And Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against God's word and judges it. How many times don't you watch your, your um, words or what? They're, they're harsh, they're unkind, you have a critical spirit, you're continuously finding fault. Judging does that. That's what judging does. You, because really, when you judge, that means that you really don't know all the facts. Because judging means you've got to perceive. You've got to kind of, you know, guess. And I wrote a question. I wrote a question about that. And I said, you know, judging has to do with the heart. Judging requires the heart, and we don't have that ability to see someone's heart. Now, granted, you know, what does Jesus say? It's by your fruit people will know you belong to me. So that's not judging. I, I heard one speaker say one time, no, I know we're not supposed to judge, but I'm a good fruit inspector. And I, I first laughed thinking that, you know, I thought she's just being kind of smart aleck. But no, Jesus said, by your fruit, it's by the fruit of the spirit that's coming out of you. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's that totally Jesus character coming out of you. That's when people know you belong to him. But it's the opposite of selfish. 
And when people see, you know, it's the opposite of what human nature usually does. No, it's the opposite of that. And so it's, it's very characteristic of a person who loves Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit will come out. Jesus says, by your fruit, people will know you belong to me. Because that wouldn't come from just anybody. Humans don't act like that. But the Holy Spirit can produce Christ-like character in you. And when you don't see the fruit in someone's life, that's not judging. Jesus himself said that. When there is no fruit. Remember what James is trying to tell us about. What did he say? You know, a faith without works is dead. Just like the spirit that, that's dead in the body. So faith without works is dead. Works are proof of who you belong to. And, and that's why Jesus said that. By fruit, you, people will know you belong to me. There, there's no, your behavior is so different. That's why Paul says you're, you've been transformed. Because you, the old is gone. The new has come. The old, the old, that old self has been crucified with Christ. So we have new kind of actions and new kind of of reasons to live and get up in the morning. And when, when people see that, it's by that fruit, people will know. But here what James is talking about, because he knew he was guilty of this. He judged his brother, didn't he? James judged his brother and thought he was a nutcase. Oh, there was... Jesus was absolutely the opposite of the nutcase. See, he judged him. He couldn't, he couldn't see Jesus' heart. He just judged him. And judging is when you really can't see the reasons for, you don't really see all the rest of the story. So it's two different things. Fruit that is visible. Then I think we have, we have a right to be able to say... Do you see what you're doing? Do you really think that that was Christ-like character? Because the fruit is visible. Judging is when it isn't visible. And then he even puts, he kind of even says it, doesn't he? When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting on judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, capital L, capital J, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? I mean, putting it in my lay terms, I think James is saying, ask yourself, who do you think you are anyway? What right do you have? Everybody has to stand at the cross only the same way you had to do. It's just kind of an eye-opener. <clears throat> but I can't, I can't, I just got to say it again. I think this is where, because we're so afraid of judging somebody, that then we don't do anything. And we're so afraid then of, of, you know, being critical and, you know, making ourselves then think we're better than them. But Paul says, no, if, you're, if your brother has wronged you, you go to them. You know, if a fruit is not there, if there's something that has to be talked over, you have to do it. Because... Jesus said, you know, if they're not living out the fruit of the Spirit, then something is wrong. So I just want to make sure that we don't get, just because we, we're not supposed to judge, but I want you to see the difference in inspecting fruit versus not judging when you can't see or know the whole story. Um. Okay, I think that's enough of that. Okay, now listen. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. I don't know why I didn't see this before, but I saw it this time. Maybe because of, of um, I saw the word listen. 
Now listen. I mean, remember he said that in, in, in James, um, you know, one, talk about, you know, take note of this. You know, you, when he really wants to stress something, you know, he'll, he'll start with, you know, either take note of this or, no, listen. He wants us to listen. And what is listen versus hearing? You know, I mean, I think we've got to, when you hear, I mean, anybody can hear, right? I mean, if you've got ears to hear, hear, right? Jesus would say that. Jesus, or James would also say, though, he would say, don't just be hearers, be doers. Have you ever talked to somebody, and maybe your children, <laughs> have you ever talked to them and Either it went one ear and right out the other, or it went right over their head. They were just, they heard you, but they weren't listening. I think when you listen, you, it's kind of like that, I, I'm concentrating and I want to do what you say. Not just hearing the words, but listen is Okay, I want you to do this. Now listen, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city. <laughs> no, there's so I mean, making plans is not wrong. But what he wants you and I in all of our plans, in whatever we do, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. And you got all this, what you're going to do in a year and carry on business and make money. Why you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't even know. So what is your life? Boy, he brings it back. I mean, you talk about putting it into words. This, you know, we think this life is so incredibly important and we hang on to it so tightly. And James, toward the end of this chapter, he says, I just want to remind you that this earthly life, um, it's just like a mist. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. And you know, what an illustration about a mist. If you've ever seen fog come in and then how quickly fog can go out. And he's saying, you know what? Your life is here today and gone tomorrow. Instead, you ought to be saying, this is how we should live our life. And when we get up in the morning and have our plans, and, and you know, maybe you don't say it out loud all the time, but so often, you know, we get, get our little, little feet stuck in and we, we, know, we don't want any of our plans changed and in fact, Mary was telling me this week, and this is, this is sad, and you'd think, why would this happen? But, you know, they were on their way to um, Indiana or Illinois, and they had to go around, you know, that terrible 94, you know, how you hate to do that. But, and there was an accident, a very bad accident, and she, they were on their way there to uh, go to a family funeral. And they got delayed. I mean, they, they were smack still for two and a half hours. And, and haven't you had that where, you know, you got places to go, people to see, and, you know, get out of my way. And, and here, I mean, it's a family funeral, and they can't get there, and they're stuck, and there's no nothing they can do. And after two and a half hours, they knew that they weren't going to make it. And so the first chance they got, they, instead of, going any farther they knew it was all it was all over it was all over already so they turned and came home and missed the whole thing but what I loved is that Mary didn't say that was just that was just terrible and and um you know what a horrible situation and it, it, Instead, she says, boy, we're so thankful for, for, for phones and for they videotaped it and they'd send it to us. So we watched it at home. Now, we can't understand God's will sometimes, but I mean, they didn't make the accident. They, they just got in the middle of it all. And how often do we get in situations sometimes where it's just the way it is and how we just 
fly off the handle. We get so shook up and our plans are, going, are ruined. And I think what James is saying, he's saying, would you just calm down? You get yourself so worked up and there's a thing you can do about it. And so in all of your plans and in all of your activities, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. That's all he's saying. You know what? It would just so cut down the stress level and anger and all that, all, all getting all worked up. And if you just learn to say, here are my plans, but you've got the master plan and you know what you're doing and I'm going to learn how to trust you. Even if it means disappointment, that's not going my way. James says, it'll be so much easier on you if you can just learn to say, the Lord's will. The Lord's will. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you know, you, you act like... Everything's in your control. Do you, do you, have you ever met people that have control issues? I mean, they just, it's their way, and I mean, they've got to gotta maneuver everything. <laughs> they've got control issues. This, this would be really hard for them. But I think we all have a in somewhat, we all have a little bit of it in our way, you know, in our lives, because we're human beings. But he's just trying to teach us: don't boast and brag and act like you know you just have it all together as far as plans and it's going to go perfectly. And and um, he said, you don't know. You don't know what God's got going, what he's got in mind, what he's going to teach you. Because life isn't about you anymore. It's about him. I know we forget that, don't we? Ever since we've come to the cross, our life is not our own anymore. It is about him. You know what, James, you started this chapter about the self, and, you know, it's something that we have to deal with every second of every day, but he's ending by saying, you know what, I've given you the solution of how to fight against self, and I want you to see, instead of just living life so tense and stressed and, and control and all that, he just, God's got this. He always has, he always will, especially you're his child. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. That's so easy to say, isn't it? It's so hard to do. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, James says, I just want you to know right now that's sin. When the Lord has told you to do something, Well, that is chapter four, and I told you it was loaded. I, I wrote this in, in, on my paper kind of to end. Um, Romans 12, verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2 is kind of uh, my go-to verse when my plans don't go the way I want. Paul said this, Linnell, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, and, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the Holy Spirit change your whole attitude and mindset. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And then, then Paul says, let me tell you, that will is good it's pleasing, and it's perfect. So why in the world wouldn't you want it? Why wouldn't you want to submit? Why wouldn't you want to resist the devil and let him flee from you? Why wouldn't you want to draw near to him and let him draw near to you? Why wouldn't you humbly 
come to him and when you're just so down and let him watch him lift you back up? Why wouldn't you want to say your will be done? When God's will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson. And again, we want to be reminded that we want your hand in our lives. We know that you are limitless, and we are very limited. So, Lord, may we dare surrender to you and be able to sing this song and and really mean it. Lord, we need you, but now we know what it's going to take. We need to surrender. We need to remind ourselves over and over our lives because of the cross, and it's so wonderful. This isn't a bad thing. It's good that you, we are enslaved to you. You own us. That's a good thing. Father, we surrender to your will because it is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. And what a different way we can live. James has been there, and he wants to help us live life abundant. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.